Hey, today I'm going to be sharing a little bit on God's heart for government, God's heart for the political season that we're in. And I want you to put on your seatbelts and buckle in because we're going to have fun this morning. And my hope is that regardless of what political side you're on this morning, that everybody leaves a little bit offended. Okay, so that's my hope. And, uh, and uh, in all seriousness, that is my hope. But hang in there. We're going to make it. We're going to make it uh, together. It was funny. I was on, uh, uh, I was on uh, uh, Facebook last week. I'm a part of this group uh, called the Snohomies on Facebook. And, and people from Snohomish are in this group. And they're always posting things. Anybody can respond. And, and I mostly just am in the group because I, I like to see what people post. I don't interact a whole lot. But I just I like to see what the community is talking about. And somebody in the spirit of Halloween posted on the Snohomies Facebook post. They said, my house has ghosts. It's got some supernatural activity. It's got some demons. we got some demons in the house. And uh, does anybody know somebody who can come perform an exorcism or a psychic or a medium, somebody who can come to the house and interact with some of these spiritual things that are happening? So, of course, I couldn't help myself. I commented. I said, I'm available. <laughs> I said, I'm available. But before I commented, I was scrolling through the comments. You know, I had about 100, 150 different comments, people on there. And I saw somebody comment this. I thought it was so interesting. They commented on it. And they said, I heard there's a church in Snohomish named Pursuit that deals with these types of things. <laughs> I said, you heard right. You heard right. The mandate of the church is to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, raise the dead. And so that's what we do. And that's what we're going to go after. And so we're not going to be embarrassed to be spirit-filled. Listen, if you ain't living a spirit-filled life, I honestly don't know how you're going to make it in this season. We have never needed the indwell, infilling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives more than ever before. I'm not embarrassed to pray in the Spirit. I'm not embarrassed to walk and worship the way that I do. I need God more in this hour than ever before in my life. And I believe that it's the attitude, the discipline, and the posture of the church that best leads the nation. The nation ultimately is not led by whoever is in the White House, but instead by whoever is Lord in your house. And so we're going to be people who press into a move of God and believe that regardless of who gets voted in, Jesus still reigns eternally in this place. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of our King. And to the increase of his government, there is no end. Yeah, sometimes people think the Bible doesn't talk about government. Isn't it interesting that all the things that we don't want the Bible to address, we conveniently think the Bible doesn't address? Like God doesn't have anything to say about my sex life. Yes, he does. God doesn't have anything to say about our political environment. Yes, he does. God doesn't have anything to say about racism or social issues. Yes, he does. You'd be amazed at all the opinions that God has if we would bother ourselves to be people of the word. And what I've noticed is that when you're in the word of God, what you'll find is that areas of comfort are offended and areas of offense are comforted. That's the work of the spirit. If you read the Bible and all you ever see is kind of a predetermined conditioning, a, a, a reinforcement of already your preconceived ideas or notions or biases, you're probably not reading the scripture really through a spiritual lens. What I've noticed is that when I'm in the word of God and the word of God is in me, it has a cutting effect. Cuts off the old attitudes, the old opinions, the old mindsets, the old ways of life. And it enables me and it enables you to more accurately both see and represent the work of Jesus Christ in our lives and through our lives. 
I, 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 don't, I, I don't know how many of you this morning are familiar with a little bit of my story, but I'll share it briefly for you today as a segue into the message this morning on how we ought to interact in the context of our political world today. But my background is, is politics. I worked full-time in government offices. I was a lobbyist at one point. At another point, I was the chief of staff in, in the Washington State Legislature for an elected official. At other times, I worked on campaigns, both nationally and locally. And uh, there was a time in my life where I had just kind of thought that this would be my lifelong career. For the rest of my life, I would work in political circles. And that was the case until one of the guys that I was working for that we thought for sure was going to win ended up not winning. <laughs> you ever have a circumstance like that in your life, something you are so sure that God's going to do, and you get there and God doesn't do it? And then you get mad, upset, offended. God, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Have I lost my mind? Did I hear you? Did you hear me? Where are we at? And God says, yeah, my ways are not your ways. My mind is, is high above. The way that you think is not always the way that I think. I'm doing something deeper. And through the process of losing a campaign, God, by his spirit, led me into full-time ministry. And for a few years, I functioned as a youth pastor and a young adult pastor. And then I, I heard a call, like the Macedonian call. I heard a call to plant. The Lord said, this is your season to plant. And so about five years ago, we stepped out in faith, planted a church in a barn on Highway 9. And uh, today, we own one of the largest commercial buildings in this city. And we pack it out every Sunday with people who are hungry for a move of God. And so if you don't believe in miracles, let me encourage you this morning. You are sitting in one. You are a part of one. The local church is an ongoing miracle from God in this region. Why God is doing something in Snohomish, I'm not sure. But all throughout Scripture, God loves to work in small, out-of-town places to bring His glory. Why? Because He often uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God's at work. You know, it's been said in America that there's a stupid party and an evil party. And every once in a while, they get together and they do something really stupid and really evil, and they call it bipartisanship. <laughs> now, depending upon your political preferences, Lord, you can fill in the blank who you think is dumb versus who you think is evil. But I'll tell you what, if your hope is in politics, you, you are about two days away from a shipwreck in your life. You know, some of us, we invest all of our hope, all of our peace, all of our joy in things that ultimately are fading away. Scripture says, invest your treasures in heavenly places where moth and rust will not destroy. Not in earthly places. And so sometimes for us, we invest all of our hope and all of our peace in a particular outcome. And then when that doesn't happen, we feel like the sky is falling and the world is ending. And can I tell you, Fred, regardless of whether the vote goes your way on Tuesday or doesn't go your way on Tuesday, it's still a day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne. And I know that some people wish Jesus was on the ballot, but he's not. And you know why he's not? Because he's not interested in being your president. He's interested in being your king. It's not up to you. It's not your vote that matters. And I know some people are thinking this morning, well, it's important for Christians to vote. Absolutely. I'm going to touch on that this morning. It's important for Christians to vote the values of Scripture. Absolutely. I'm going to share on that this morning. But if you allow something as small as an election to steal your peace, then what you are doing is giving away some of the most precious things that God has asked you to carry. And so for me, my commitment is I'm going to be a person of peace, a person of hope, a person of joy, regardless if things go right or if they go left. Why? Because I know being a part of a kingdom community, we're going up. And sometimes we have overly invested spiritual 
characteristics or tendencies or proclivities into political wineskins. And I think your relationship with God ought to impact just about every area of your life, including the way that you interact in the public square. However, we're not going to allow the spirit of the age to somehow infect or impact the church in a way where our eyes get off of the lamb and instead onto the elephant or the donkey. Hey, this morning, as we begin, I'm going to share four rules. Four rules for how you ought to interact with today's word. Four rules. Number one is this. I will not be offended. Why? Well, because offense blocks you from being able to receive revelation from God. I'm not here to position myself as the great, you know, revelator of all of Scripture. But I do feel like I got a word for your life in this season. And if you allow offense or you allow pride or arrogance or a I already know it all or figured it out all attitude, what it does is it creates walls in your heart and it blocks you from receiving. Jesus says this, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. And so for you and, and, and me today, as, as we join in community, what we recognize is not everybody thinks the way I think. Not everybody likes the same things that I like. Not everybody has the same political background or preferences that I might have. But I'm willing to hear a word from God based in Scripture. And I don't want offense to become a stumbling block in my life. Number two is this. I will not exalt my political opinion or political affiliation above my Christian obligation. I'm not a Republican first, I'm not a Democrat first, I'm not an Independent first, I'm not a Charismatic first, I'm not a Pentecostal first, I am a Jesus follower first. And when we begin to allow all of these nouns to inform what later is an adjective, our, our Christianity, really what we're communicating to the people around us is the altar that we really worship at. And so for you and, and for me today, as we consider what it means to be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ, what we recognize is every other title falls flat. Every other identity comes second, third, fourth, or fifth to the primary identity of being a Christ follower. I think sometimes in the church, we as Christians are more interested in converting people to our political opinion than we are to followership of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like somehow if we can just all vote the same, the world would be better. Fred, we've been voting for a long time. Things are getting worse. I think you should vote. It's the bare minimum. Because I know you'll complain about it anyway. So at least vote. At least have some integrity to vote if you're going to complain about the way things go. But our hope is not found in the ballot box. It's found in the Bible. Meaning this, we are rooted and grounded on the revelation that Jesus is Lord. And that changes everything. You'll see that this morning. Number three is this. I will receive this sermon in the spirit it's given. And I think maybe the primary difference between people who have received the spirit of adoption and people who still operate in an orphan heart is the ability to receive things in the spirit they're given. You ever go up and try to pet a dog that's been beat or abused? It doesn't matter how nice you are, how gentle you are. Every time you get close, the dog cowers in fear. It's not able to receive in the spirit it's given. And sometimes in the church, we're so amped up 
We come to the table with all of our ideas and notions and affiliations, and if somebody doesn't say something exactly the way that we want to say it, we are one offense away from checking out and leaving everybody behind. And can I tell you, friend, the mark of spirituality, of maturity in a believer is to be able to receive things in the spirit they're given. You know, sometimes when you provide feedback, somebody will say, well, stop criticizing me. And you go, well, that's actually not the spirit in which I'm giving it. I'm giving you an observation. I'm giving you some feedback on some decisions you're making in your life. Don't receive this out of woundedness. Receive this out of wholeness. Number four, probably most important, I will redirect all angry emails to the church up the street. Okay? So... <laughs> Christianity will survive with or without America, but the reverse is not true. America will not survive without Christianity. Our country is founded on the idea that people ought to be able to freely worship and freely associate and have free religious expression. And although over the last number of months it feels like, especially in this state, that our government has forgotten about some of those rights that we as Christians and believers have in this context... We recognize the importance of the founding ideology of this country. Prior to the Declaration of Independence, about 150 years prior, Puritans and pilgrims traveled to the new land and, and, and they put together one of the first governing documents uh, called the Mayflower Compact. And in the Mayflower Compact, what they expressed was a journey covered by the presence of God into a new land for the express purpose of the advancement and expression of Christianity. Yeah, I think sometimes people look at our nation just only through a secular lens. And I get that in this nation, you can be anything you want, however you want, on any day of the week, and sometimes multiple times in the same day. That's what's so great about America. But the reality is, is that America has a uniquely Christian heritage. And so for us, as we're praying, and as we're worshiping, and as we're serving and following God, we are calling back the nation to its founding principles. It wasn't founded on political platform. It was founded on the idea that people ought to be able to worship God in the way that they see fit. In fact, the separation of church and state was never meant to protect the state from the church. It was meant to protect the church from the state. The church has an obligation to be involved in every mountain of influence, including the mountain of civil government. And have you ever noticed in your life any mountain that Christians or the church pull out of becomes a mountain that is seeded over to the kingdom of darkness without any gospel witness. You know, sometimes for us, we look at things like art and entertainment or Hollywood or, you know, those types of things. We go, oh man, it's just too messy for believers to be involved with. And so what happens, we withdraw our leaven, right? We withdraw our influence. And in doing so, come into agreement with what the enemy has said about a realm of influence. And so for me, I think there's an obligation for believers to be involved in public policy in the public square of civic engagement. We ought to be. Why? Because to his kingdom and his government, there is no end. My hope is that by the end of today, I'll be too conservative for the liberals and too liberal for the conservatives. Why? Because that is the model of Jesus. Watch what Jesus says. He says some political things. When asked about whether or not they should pay taxes, Jesus says this, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to the Lord what is his. And then other times, Jesus and his communication with elected officials is a little more abrasive. 
He says this to Herod, go and tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In one instance, Jesus says things like, pray for those in authority. And then in other instances, he says to people like Pontius Pilate, you have no power over me. Friend, this isn't a Democrat church. It's, it's not a Republican church. It's a Christian church. And politics, although they are important, they are terrible for finding the meaning in life. And so for us, when we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I hope for you it conjures up an image today of laying down every other flag at the feet of him. I didn't say politics isn't important. I said if it's the most important thing in your life, you've missed Jesus by a mile. And my only agenda today is to see people more in love with him and more aware of how our transformative relationship with God impacts the way that we see the world around us. You know, being a person of faith should impact the way that I vote. And the only reason that's a controversial statement is because as a society, we generally have rejected the idea that faith should influence public life. In fact, there are two lies that secularism has imposed on Western culture. The first being this, faith doesn't belong in the public square. Friend, if you claim to be a person of faith and it doesn't impact the way you interact in the public square, then you're not really a person of faith. Christianity is not what I check at the church. It's not what I check at the door. It's not an activity I engage in. It's an identity that I'm immersed in. Meaning that everywhere I go, I am a living, breathing, walking ambassador of his kingdom coming to earth. Does it mean I do it well all the time? No. Does it mean I fail off and need forgiveness? Absolutely. But our Christianity, our morals, our ethical imperative is not what we check in the devotional closet to only revisit on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. It is who we are in the earth. In fact, I think our society has been plagued by professional Christians who only act saved on 90-minute Sundays every week. So for me, I go, man, if my faith doesn't impact the way that I live, then I'm not the person of faith that I claim to be. I don't mean that in a judgmental sense. I mean that in an encouraging but also admonishing sense. It's time for us to remind ourselves of who we are. Number one, the first lie that we believed in our culture is faith doesn't belong in the public square. The second lie that we believed, which is just as insidious as this, only Christians are trying to impose their morality. I hear that a lot. And you Christians are trying to impose your morality. Now, I think this was probably most profoundly witnessed in the recent confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. I was watching the news. I, I love the news. I love history. I love politics. I watch political shows. I read the newspaper every day. I, I, I just One of the ways God has hardwired me, I know a lot of people just are so tired of it all and don't want to see one more ad. But for me, Tuesday, election day, is like my Super Bowl. I'll watch the news 8, 10, 12 hours straight. I'll study things. I'll look up polls. I'll have multiple websites going. We'll have people over at the house. I turn it into a war room, a strategy room. The way that you feel about the Super Bowl is the way that I feel about the election. I really am interested, especially in our governmental system. Some of the things that I do for fun is I watch other nations' news to look into their governmental process. You ever watch Parliament on, on BBC? You ever watch how they do politics in other parts of the world? It almost makes us look civilized. <laughs> 
I love, I, I love I, I'm interested and engaged in these governmental things. But I, I was watching the news and they were talking about the Supreme Court justice and one of the commentators on the news on, on a more liberal network, they said something like this. They said, you know, we're really concerned that Justice Barrett will impose her religious views on monumental landmark cases like Roe v. Wade. And of course, I'm watching it thinking we could only hope. Yeah, it'd be incredible. But what was missing from the conversation was the awareness that the judge that she's replacing, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, did just as much in imposing her morality than anybody else. There is no such thing as a morally neutral person. But we have believed the lie of secularism that only Christians are interested in changing or adopting or transforming the way that government interacts with a free people. But nothing could be further from the truth. Every person has a moral system. The only thing that designates us as being unique is that ours is grounded and rooted in historical Christianity. Well, if you were to watch the news, they would have you believe that if you're a Christian, you vote a certain way on issues like life or marriage, that you're trying to impose your morality on everybody else. And the reality is, is that public policy is the place where people come to debate whose morality is more moral. Everybody has a moral system. Not everybody is religious, but everybody has a moral system. The default religion in the West is politics. In this religious system, government is God. And every issue of sin or injustice can be solved by a legislative policy. Friend, I'm a follower of Jesus first. And how I vote, although important, isn't anywhere close to being the most important thing about my life. I want you to see the model of Jesus. Watch the type of people who Jesus calls as his disciples. If you're ever having a rough day, feeling insecure, just read the type of people that Jesus calls as disciples. You're, you're, you're in pretty good company. Jesus recruits two specific ones, people that you'll be familiar with. One of them is Matthew. The first book of the New Testament, of course, bears his name. And the second, even more popular, is Simon Peter, the one who preaches the message on the day of Pentecost and sees the church planted, 3,000 saved, and and, 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 and walks on water and becomes one of the closest disciples to Christ. And Jesus calls both of these individuals, but you might not be familiar with their background, so let me fill you in this morning. Simon Peter, his full title, his full name that Jesus addressed him by was this, Simon Peter the Zealot. Now, Jesus did not mean Simon Peter the Passionate. He did not mean Simon Peter the one whose zeal has consumed him for the temple of the Lord. No, Jesus is using a political phrase. The zealots were a political movement in the first century who sought to incite an armed rebellion against the Roman Empire to expel it from the Holy Land. Simon Peter was part of a militia in Snohomish. <laughs> when Jesus calls him Simon Peter the zealot, see, in our language, we kind of translate that. We go, he's just trying to say passionate. No, the zealots were a political group in the first century who sought an armed rebellion to overthrow the Roman occupiers. And Jesus also calls Matthew. And you know who Matthew was? A tax collector. 
If Simon Peter's part of a militia in Snohomish, then Matthew is definitely a tax collector in Washington, D.C. And the only reason Christ wasn't born in Washington, D.C. is because they couldn't find three wise men or a virgin. So he... Jesus calls both. Matthew, the tax collector, your classic liberal, and Simon Peter, the zealot, your classic conservative. And his message to them is the same. Come and follow me. In fact, he says this. If you don't hate your mother and brother and father and sister and reject everything that the world offers me, you are unfit to be my disciple. In fact, he says this. Unless you set your hand to the plow and don't look back, you can't be my disciple. And the radical inclusivity of Christ collides on the exclusivity of his proclamation. Come and follow me. See, sometimes in our churches, the only people we make room for are Simon the Zealots. Or other places, Matthew, the tax collectors. And what if the kingdom of God is bigger than your preferred political affiliation? What if? Can I submit something to you this morning? People of good Christian faith can reach different conclusions about who to vote for. Let me say it again. People of good Christian faith can reach different conclusions about who to vote for. And if you don't believe that statement is true, your God is too small. I take people anywhere on the journey of faith. I take people right, left, up, down, backwards, not voting, independent, libertarian, you name it. I'll take them. Because together we're building a kingdom community. And we're walking in the direction of transformation. And we're all in different places on our transformative journey. And sometimes some of us have been following the Lord 10 or 20 years. And we forget that that person we're sitting next to is fresh out of the world. Man, maybe they've been born again, clean, sober, two, three, four, five, six days. And, and sometimes we judge other people who are at different places in their journey. And we forget what it was like to be in the miry clay. What I love about Jesus is every time you try to put him into a box, he smashes the boxes that you have. Remember when the woman who was quote-unquote caught in the act of adultery got thrown at the feet of Jesus? And the Pharisee said to her, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What say you? And what Jesus says is, rise. Where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Every time that they tried to trap him in a legislative or judicial box or some sort of worldly philosophy, Jesus transcends the conversation. See, that's what I'm asking of you today, that you would transcend the conversation, that you would be above the fray. I know it's a lot easier to be in one camp or another, but what if there's a third way? What if it's the way of the cross? What if the way of the cross causes both enemies and allies to sit at the same table? What if the way of the cross doesn't cancel people out but invites them in? What if the way of the cross makes room for people who are in every part of their developmental journey. What if the way of the cross has a longer table than you could ever imagine? What if the way of the cross means that when you get to heaven, you'll see people there who voted differently than you? What if? Now I'm going to share with you how I think we ought to vote and the values that I think should, 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 should impact and, 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 and somehow inform your legislative process. But just let me submit to you today that the God you serve is bigger than the TV cable news network you watch. He's bigger. He's bigger. 
Now watch, watch, watch what happens here. Two polar opposites who are both compelled to follow Christ. That's the model. One of the most dangerous things that you can ever do in all of life is to live inside the helmet. We put on our philosophical helmets, sometimes our theological helmets. We put on these tight-knit, closed systems, and we don't make room for anybody else who might see things a different way. You know what's so beautiful about the church is that we're all coming here this morning having a different perspective of the same God. And I can learn from your perspective, and you can learn from mine. And I might talk about the beauty of the Lord, and you might go, man, I, I, I never considered that before. And you might talk about the righteousness of the Lord, and I might go, man, I needed a reminder of that. And somebody else might be talking about the justice of the Lord or the sovereign nature of the world or the free will capacity that he's given us from the Lord. And, and all of a sudden, in the company of conversation, we are stirring ourselves to be reminded that God is more complex than we give him credit for. And I know that we need to understand things. I know in the West we have such a need to view ourselves as more enlightened than the rest of the world. We understand it. We know it. In fact, I've got an entire systematic theological book that describes everything about how God operates. But what if God is so much bigger than your box? I think that's important as we think about what it looks like to engage in the way of uh, in the ways of civil government. Now I, my, my, I'm getting my ballot filled out. I'm gonna drop it off at a ballot box tomorrow. I'm engaged. But friend, you don't deserve a participation trophy for voting. That's the bare minimum. <laughs> You don't get like a medal, a gold star from the church for voting. Well, congratulations, you woke up today. <laughs> what we are encouraging people to do is, is, is to recognize that regardless of who wins on, 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 on Tuesday, the kingdom of God is unshaken, therefore the church is unmoved. Isn't it interesting how when our guy gets voted in, it's the person that God has anointed for the hour, but whenever the other guy gets voted in, it's the Antichrist? <laughs> What if, now just let me submit it to you this morning, but what if the Bible is true? And what if the Spirit of God means what it says in Proverbs 21, which is the heart of the king is like water in the hand of the Lord. He moves it any way he will. What if God can work through a Nebuchadnezzar just like he can work through a Cyrus? What if God can work through a Herod and through a Pilate? What if God can work through a Nero and a Constantine? What if God is bigger than your political box? And so I want you to be encouraged because the election is not allowed to steal your peace. It's not allowed to steal your joy. It's not allowed to steal your hope. And if you vacate the qualities that God has placed in your life and instead project them onto a political candidate, then you are only one right passage away from meltdown no I got a peace that the world can't have and I'm not gonna give it because it's not for sale I've got hope and joy that the world can't have it's not for sale it's not it's, it's not prostituted to the ways of the world no it's deep inside of me it is the foundation that my life is upon oh he set me higher on the rock the political waters come and go but I'm unmoved why because I've been set on the rock look we're not going into mourning on Wednesday Regardless of who wins and loses, oh, we got to bring your sackcloth and ashes to the church on Sunday. <laughs> My God, the sky is falling. What are we ever going to do? You're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. 
And why don't we just make Jesus Lord the most political statement that we can make in this church? Why don't we enthrone him in our affection and our attention and our adoration? My soul will magnify the Lord. Now I'm gonna vote. And I know how I'm gonna vote. And I know a lot of you already know how you're gonna vote. But I'm gonna trust that the God who has seen the end from the beginning, regardless of how the election goes, is still commanding my destiny. And when you operate from that ideological foundation, while the world freaks out, you're at peace. Oh, it's gonna be okay. You think Jesus is in heaven right now, like sweating profusely about the election on Tuesday? What am I ever gonna do? We make ourselves so much more important than we actually are. America ain't mentioned in the book of Revelation, just in case you were checking. It ain't. God will do his work. We will do our part. And then we will trust him with the outcome. I think that there are some things that should be important to us. I'm going to list a few things that are important to me. And you can like it or lump it or do whatever you want. But just let me share with you some things that I think Scripture has informed the way that I have a view on, on some of these issues. Number one, the family. I think the family is the basic building block of society. And any policy that does violence against the nuclear family does violence against a safe, free, and prosperous country. As the family goes, so goes the nation. Some of y'all so worried about politics. I pay a little more attention to the family. I pay some attention to the family. Hey, how am I doing as a father? How am I doing as a mother? How am I doing as a contributor to the family of God in this season? What, what, what does my role and my responsi responsibility look like? I think sometimes in the way that we understand government, we think that the president has so much more power in our day-to-day -day life than they actually have. And certainly, the Oval Office and the executive branch helps set policy and does executive orders and basically helps lead kind of the political tenor of the, of the country. But Trump ain't tucking your kids in at night to go to bed. Hopefully not. <laughs> Biden ain't playing video games with your son, with your daughter, taking them to school. Draw. You're doing that. That's mom's job. That's dad's job. That's brother's job. That's sister's job. And we got to pay attention to the building block of a free society, which is the family. Before God ever instituted government, he instituted family. You know when government got instituted? Genesis 9. You know when family got instituted? Genesis 1. It ain't the government job to fix your family. It's time to return to being priests in our own family. What's important to me? The family. Number two, life. Without the right to life, no other rights exist. Let me be unequivocal. Abortion is the greatest civil rights violation of our day, and it's not even close. With that being said, being pro-life means not just caring about life in the womb, but caring about life outside of the womb. And caring about life outside of the womb looks like making sure people have access to things like quality education, quality health care, quality opportunities, making sure that whether you're brown, black, white, or somewhere in the middle, you have access in this country to rise above. So when I talk about being pro-life, it's not just focused on what a woman does with a baby in the womb. It's focused on dads who leave pregnant moms. It's focused on family dysfunction. It's focused on quality public schools. It's focused on equitable access 
access to health care. It looks like a lot more than just talking about life in the womb. However, until life in the womb matters to you, no other policy even comes close. See, it's possible to be both and. It's possible to be both and. See, we're given to either or because we like black or white. But it's possible to be both and. It's not just the family. It's not just life. But freedom is indispensable. As government grows, watch, personal liberty shrinks. There's a certain political philosophy today that says government knows best. The government should raise your kids. The government should dictate your religious expression. The government should control what you can or can't say. Government is used by God to order nations. But when government is used by man to order families, it creates confusion and dysfunction. It's not just the family. It's not just life. It's not just freedom. It's immigration. I'm pro-immigrant. I married one. The way we treat the foreigner is important to God. You can't worship him on Sunday and be anti-immigrant on Monday. I didn't say you can't believe in having a strong border. I'm saying the immigrant is important to Jesus, and therefore they should be important to us. I think about things like foreign policy. I think the world benefits from a strong America. I don't apologize for that. For some reason, it's become popular in our country for school systems and civil institutions to teach our kids to hate this country, but I refuse to follow that pattern. I think it's important to stand with countries like Israel. I think it's important to be a force for good. I think when people have the ability to freely choose, they choose freedom. And I think it's important for America to continue to carry that torch. Friend, Jesus isn't on the ballot because he's not interested in being your president. He's interested in being your king. Can I cause you to take a step off the ledge this morning? Voting is not a valentine. I love you, best wishes, kisses, can't wait to see you. I'm not confessing my undying love for a candidate. Voting is not a valentine. Voting is a chess move, a strategic choice being made for the type of world you want to live in. I don't vote based on personality. I don't vote based on party. I don't even vote based on who has a better church attendance record. I vote on policy and platform because I am making a strategic choice for the type of world that I want to live in. I think sometimes for us, we feel the need to make a vote out of some sort of unyielding love and affection and adoration for a political candidate. I think if you're a believer who's above the fray, you'll be able to criticize a president when they need criticism. You'll be able to pray for a president on an ongoing basis. You'll also be able to see that there's more than one way in which you can view or understand political issues and it's probably not one party is always right and another party is always wrong. There's probably room on both sides of the aisle for a little more compromise than we have in our world today. See, we're given to political tribalism, to the politics of group identity. And when people see me, I want them to see Christ first. And I want them to see politics, not second, not third, not fourth, but maybe like 17th or 18th. Not because it's not important, but because when it becomes the most important thing in your life, it does a disservice to the witness of the gospel. It's important how you vote. You ought to pray about it. I know people use the word today, vote your values. 
It's kind of like telling people, follow your heart. I'm less interested in you voting your values and more interested in you voting these values. But also understanding that no candidate, no party, no person is ever going to 100% align with this book. And that's why you as an individual need to maintain your prophetic witness, which means that I'm not buying into the Kool-Aid of political platforms. I can support when I think it needs support, and I can criticize when I think there needs to be critique, and I can always be a person of prayer. You think Trump's going to save America? Sorry. You think Biden's the answer for the spiritual hunger we see in the streets? Sorry. I refuse to buy what the culture is selling. Because if you marry the spirit of the age, you'll be widowed in the next. I refuse to drink the political Kool-Aid. Oh, I'm voting. I'm going to turn my ballot into the ballot box. I'm voting just like you. But I refuse to get distracted from the one who sits on the throne, who commands the worship of nations, who is the desire of every tribe and tongue. His name is Jesus. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul gives us guidance on how to interact with government. He says this in verse 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Right, let me tell you this this morning. Authority is God's idea. Government is God's idea. It's the primary way that he orders the affairs of nations. Does that mean that every president or every king or every elected official is God's person for the job? No. But similar to family, the family structure is God's idea. And although bad moms and bad dads do exist, it doesn't negate the fact that God has chosen the family structure as the primary way that he orders the affairs of earth. I want you to think about government like the skeleton that God has chosen to order society. And I want you to think about your vote like the flesh that hangs on the skeleton. Meaning that God ordains government. But man participates in the process of governance. Verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against this authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror to those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Sometimes verses like this are used out of context to clobber people on opposing sides. The Apostle Paul is not giving a free pass to unlawful or abusive leadership. He is simply describing God's best intent for the structure of civil government. Brad, let me say this this morning. When, not if, when you get hurt by someone in authority, you don't then reject all authority from that moment onward. You call upon the wisdom of God to lead you to the right place so that you can live free from fear. When, not if, but when you get hurt in church, you don't then reject all churches from that moment onward, but you allow the wisdom of God to lead you to the right place so that you can get healing and freedom in your life. Paul is executed by the Roman government. Winds up in prison at least twice 
because he refuses to follow their orders. He's accused of inciting riots, insurrection, rebellion, you name it. Paul spends about half of his apostolic letters locked up for disobeying civil government. Paul is not saying you got to submit to abusive, unlawful, immoral, unethical forms or types of leadership. What Paul is communicating is this. Even when you experience hurt in the context of structure, don't reject the structure. Reject the woundedness from attaching to your spirit. Get free, get healthy, get new, and then find yourself in a place where you can fully come alive. I meet people all the time in this church. They'll say things like this, Pastor, I haven't been in church in 10 years. Pastor, I haven't been in church in 20 years. The last place that I was at really left a bad taste in my mouth. The last place that I was at, the pastor got caught doing something he shouldn't. The last place that I was at, they abused money. I've just never been able to trust again. But when I came here, the Spirit of God began to do something in my heart. See, friend, when we experience pain, discomfort, disillusionment, we don't take our pain, build an altar to it, and then worship around it for the rest of our life. We take that pain and we submit it to the feet of Jesus. Because if there's anybody who knows what it's like to get hurt by church, it's him. I think our nation needs prayer more than ever before. And I'm going to vote because that's my civil duty. But more than voting, I'm going to be a person of prayer. And if the president finds himself reelected on Tuesday evening, the church will go on. And if the vice president finds himself elected on Tuesday evening, the church will go on. And together, our mandate will be to stay in a position of honor, but also prayer and integrity before the Lord, knowing that what we are living for is the approval of one. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? I'm going to encourage you, friend. If you haven't already voted, make sure you do. But more important than that, let's rally ourselves to pray. And let's believe that God is working above the fray. I think it was Lincoln who said this. Now, a lot of people try to figure out which side God is on. Is he on the right side? Is he on the left side? Where is he at? It's more important for you to ask this question. Are you on his side. He refuses to be owned or trademarked or copyrighted by any of your opinions, by any of our clubs, by any of our preferences. He refuses. This Jesus commands the worship of the nations. And I believe that the church in America is on the cusp of another great awakening. And I'm confident that God like one who moves chess pieces on a chess board, is strategically aligning us for supernatural promotion in this season. So I'm going to end in prayer, and then tonight we're going to gather back, 6 p.m., and we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and we're going to believe that God still has something unique and special for this nation. Politics cannot bring us together, but Jesus can. And after this election, we are coming out of one of the most divided times in all of American history. 
And I'll tell you what, the church better be an agent of healing, hope, and reconciliation. Because if we're not, we're going to put a dividing line right down the middle. And there's going to be a lot of people who feel like, man, I don't know if I have a home here anymore. And I want you to know, whether you're left, right, up, down, black, white, there's room at my table. Whether you vote like me or vote different than me, there's room at my table. Whether you have the same opinions about the history of America or not, there's room at my table. Why? Because we're seated with the Lord in heavenly places. And we're praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in this place, even as it's being done in heaven. God, this morning we repent for times in which we have thought you were too small. Times in which we've tried to label you or attach you to earthly things. And God, we pray for your help in our time of need this morning. God, I pray for wisdom and direction in this country. I declare today that the net result of this election will not be chaos in the streets. It will be peace. So we declare in this country unity. We declare in this country understanding. We declare in this country a spirit of reconciliation, restoration, and forgiveness. We declare in this country that what the enemy has designed for evil, God, in fact, will use for good. Father, I pray that as we enter into the final months of 2020, it will be a turning point in the spiritual trajectory of this nation. Father, we pray for wisdom for our political leaders. God, we pray for wisdom for our president, for Congress, for people in the House, people in the Senate, local elected officials. And God, we commit ourselves to being people of prayer and honor, regardless of what the election holds on Tuesday. But God, we know that Scripture says righteousness exalts a nation. And so we pray for civil righteousness in this place that the righteousness of God's church and the righteousness of God's people would arise and that we would find a competent, clear, above the political fray voice into the government mountain in this nation. We say your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks so much for joining us for church.